author of my favorite book, Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, which you can buy. I'll put it in the description. Get it on Lulu. Roger gets more money. Same cost to you. My favorite book ever written. I've had on a million trillion guests. That's a lie. I've had on 593, not quite a million trillion. But Roger's book is my favorite. I first read it in 2016, reached out to him last like summer, and he came on, and we've become buddies since then. Roger's wearing one of my merch shirts, which I was actually looking for my Bob Lazar hoodie, but I wore it to the, I realized I wore it to the gym this morning. I soaked with, not, not that you can smell me through the pot. Not important. Roger's my homie. Go buy his book. It's legitimately my favorite book ever written. Um, I think it's it's the only thing that tackles the post-singularity world. Everyone writes about the singularity and leading up to it, but once they approach the horizon of the black hole, they just go, and then it's over. Roger goes into it, and uh, the problems don't end there. They, 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 You might even say they go up exponentially, much like an event horizon. The things just go off the charts. But Roger was just saying, you're cramming Smallville? Yeah. I, I had never seen it before, so I, uh, I realized, yeah, uh, well, and of course, Netflix DVD, uh, the nice thing about DVDs is you don't have to worry about licensing bullshit and all that. They have the discs, and we'll have the discs until they break them all. That's my and, uh, second favorite thing about you, is you're the only person I know that has still Netflix, Netflix physically mails you DVDs. That's what I love about you. But it's brilliant. I, it, it, well, it, the, the thing is, is yeah. like if you want to watch, like uh, I, I happened to mention the other morning uh, at work. Yeah, it's like if you want to, if you if you just get a wild hair and you want to watch Casablanca, you don't have to worry about who goes like who has it, yeah. who has the license, all that bullshit. You know, you just go to the queue and you put it in your queue, and they have the disc and they send it to you. It's in the Criterion Collection, for yeah. Christ's sake. They have all of those. Yeah. Uh, and so I realized, well, you know, I never saw Small Bill. It's you know, it's like ten seasons. So I'm in the middle of season two right now, and I just saw Christopher Reeve's uh, cameo. Oh, yeah? Where he, he, he plays an eccentric uh, uh, nerd physicist, millionaire, billionaire type guy who uh, knows a lot more about Krypton than anyone else on the Earth because he okay. spent a lot of time. So he's, he's cluing Clark in yeah. on some of the, the stuff about his own, his, you know, uh, background yeah. origins, uh, and, but of course, this is Christopher Reeve in the wheelchair mm-hmm. with the respirator, you know, because he's paralyzed. Yeah. And uh, you, you you can tell. And, and, and then at the end of that episode, they did a, a, a little uh, plug for Reeve's paralysis, uh, you know, uh, foundation. Foundation, yeah, and and that was cute as hell. hell I mean, yeah. uh, you could tell they were just enjoying the hell out of uh, having beautiful. the chance to do that. That's beautiful. Um, but you know, that's and and I, I found that it, it's it's it seems to be a very well crafted series. I can see why a lot of people liked it and why it went on so long. Uh, it's uh, to a certain extent there there is a little bit of the monster of the week thing about it. You know. I, during season one, I was like, if they keep knocking off high school students at this rate, Clark isn't going to have a graduating class. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're all getting um, knocked off because uh, they're all fucking losing their virginity to Clark. And when Superman comes, it kills you. Yeah, well, actually, actually, it's because Smallville is littered with kryptonite. Or that. All forms. Or, or it's not. Yeah. Yeah, or, or it's not. So, so, or it's not. 
Every, everybody assault. picks up a rock and suddenly they have a superpower they can't control and hey, everything goes off the rails. Hey man, it's that or you pick up a rock and it's Chernobyl. It's superpower or you know the burn ward. It's one of the. Or your or, or your skin falls off. Have yeah, you watched? I mean, have you watched Chernobyl? Honey? Oh yes. That's one of the. You know the me. Magnificent I, yeah, series. You know me. I live under a cultural rock. Like I don't consume. <laughs> I read Harry Potter in 2014 after my brother died. I was like, now's a good time to distract myself, and I loved it. I was like, oh, this is all the fuss about this. Um, I, But I save things for, like, when I had my tonsils out, I forget what I watched. <laughs> I don't remember what series I watched, but I watched fucking, was it Breaking Bad? I don't remember. No, maybe not. This is 2014. It was one of the, maybe I watched the Harry Potter movies. I don't remember. Or the point is, is my logic is, is I, as I save all of these, and I figure... If I ever like break a leg or I, you know, going through like chemo or, you know, whatever, some horrible thing to me, I'm like, I've never seen Breaking Bad. I've never seen Smallville. I've never seen Game of Thrones. So to me, I have this arsenal of unexperienced experiences. I would put it at the top. Uh, I would I would suggest when you uh, have a, uh, a break in your life like that, I, I would put Breaking Bad at the top of the list if you haven't seen it. And I would put the Sopranos right yeah, after that. Yeah, I know. I need, I know. I need to watch Breaking Bad, Sopranos, Game of Thrones. Um, Game of Thrones is overrated really? compared to those two. Uh, Game of Thrones had really excellent production values and all, but if you want story and you want just pure acting and drama, then uh, yeah, you're, you're looking at Breaking Bad is probably the best series ever created. Okay. Uh, and Sopranos would be in the top five yeah. for sure. Yeah, I'm not sure that Game of Thrones would be in the top five. Yeah, uh, honestly, I mean it was very good. It was very entertaining. But if you want to see Casablanca level, this is film history mm -hmm. being made. Nothing like it has ever been done before. Stuff. Then yeah, that's uh, besides which the ending was real. Both both uh, both the Sopranos and. Uh, the other one, uh, Breaking Bad. <laughs> Breaking Bad had uh, really fantastically crafted endings uh, that pissed a lot of people off because they were so fantastically well crafted. Hell yeah! Um, That's yeah. I have that, uh, that list. Uh, I mean, Band of Brothers. I mean, like I literally, I can go all no, the way I've back. I've never seen like, Band of Brothers. Yeah, I so. need to watch that. I mean, I need to watch Twenty Four. I need to watch Lost. Like, so I have this whole arsenal of just. Things that you wish you could, you know, unsee just so you could watch them again. To me, I'm like, I have this whole arsenal of just, like, I get to experience all this shit. Like, I literally just didn't know anything about Harry Potter until, like, 2014. Like, I vaguely remember, like, yeah. us listening to, like, the first one on audiobook back when it was, like, cassettes on, like, the way to middle school. But I don't really remember it. And then I just, I just read through all seven books in 2014. And I was like, oh, this is great. And it did help me. It did help. I needed a distraction. And, um... But Chernobyl, that was one of the few. The Marvel, I, I do watch. I did watch all the all the the Marvel universe. Well, I didn't see all of them. I didn't see. I saw like the I saw all the Avengers. I saw like all the event. I saw all yeah. the Iron Man's, all the Captain Americas, and all the Avengers. I didn't see Black Widow. I didn't see Black Panther. I didn't see. I didn't see any of the other like Thor. Any. Yeah. But I did enjoy that main. I did enjoy. I splurged on those. I liked those. Yeah. Um. Uh 
Black Panther is worth adding to it. I Black know, Widow yeah. is kind of a side story. Uh, Black Panther is very worth it Fuck if you yeah. get a chance. Fuck yeah. Um, the uh, yeah, but yeah, and nobody has seen all the movies in the MCU because I think it's like every time you think you've seen them all, they make another one. Yeah, uh, I've, yeah, I've, 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 I was, I was like a purist. I was like Iron Man, like Captain America. I liked those because, like, I guess I could suspend my anime, my disbelief enough. Like, I could believe in Iron Man. Yeah. Sure. Well, so- Marvel is really good at that because uh, one of the observations I made about it when they when they first started in, I think it was after the first Iron Man movie, where I I, I made the observation that most studios make you know they when they buy a comic book property to make it into a movie, then they start fucking with the story to make it more suitable for Hollywood, you know, to make it more movie-like. Flashy, yeah. And when, and when Marvel started their own studio, they did it the other way around. They understood that comics are a visual medium, that mm-hmm. they, they were already uh, what you needed. So what they did is they adapted the movie medium to suit the stories that they wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. And where you really saw that was with Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Because that was where they really got their comic books uh, free con, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as, as opposed to it being like any other movie. You know, it's like no studio other than Marvel would have even tried to make Guardians of the Galaxy. They wouldn't have known what to do with it. But Marvel did. It's just like, OK, this is a comic book. It's a visual story. We tell it in a visual style. Boom. That's what it is. Yeah. And, and what I, I really love is like one of the critics says, like, who sets a prison escape to the Pina Colada song? Uh, and I'm like, maybe someone who knows that the actual name of the Pina Colada song is Escape. Yeah, it's yeah, it's <laughs> I like I I loved it. I loved it, and I kind of bought into like all the hype. But even with like the final like the what, Infinity War and and Endgame, I it starts to yeah. I I loved I love them for what they are, but. It, it does start to lose me a little more with like kind of the well that was where it got very comic book yeah well they, and, they, it's, and it's good for that it's good to take an edible and get high as fuck and watch Thanos break the <laughs> shit out of it. like that's great like I, I love that what I loved about Iron Man is like you completely you're like sure you're like exoskeleton you're like some mm-hmm. Elon Musk guy and then develops it and then with his wealth you're like okay kind of gets it and it you know all the way up to like yeah the final form would be some form of nanotechnology even with captain america like i love the birth and like world war ii like when we were throwing everything we had at the we didn't know what was gonna was it gonna be the a-bomb or was it gonna be super soldiers and like even then like it's and then you have to take on like what hydra and it's like well like there were tears to the nazis right there's like the there's the wehrmacht and then there's like the SS and the SA and like the uh, the Einsatz group and like they did have kind of their tiers of they did have advanced technology and I mean, my favorite thing is you know when well, they uh, were trying to do their own super soldiers uh-huh, yeah was... and you could kind of to me those were to me what those were is like what I've explained to you like why I love conspiracy theories right they're just they're just juiced up versions of reality that's I guess what Iron Man and Captain America were to me is like they were just kind of juiced up versions of reality right no there was no all the best stories are yeah there was no you know once it kind of got to like magic and stuff I was like ah, you know, I, I couldn't do it as much like I even Spider-Man I could kind of <laughs> suspend it because I'm like you could maybe build if I if I can like see how it could happen, 
I get it. But you know, when it, who's who are the twins and like one runs faster than the other is like a, a psychic. To me, I was like, yeah. I, can't, I can't really sure on a long enough timeline that technology, but I was like, I need, you know, I need Captain America. I need the drones, right? I need the all that stuff. I need to me, yeah. I could. Well, one of the things in the, in the comic book universe is that they, they really go over the top because they're constantly <laughs> trying to top the last idea that they had, and they've been doing this since well, the 40s. Well, you have to, right? So, it's, it's a drug. Yeah. You got to keep up in the you got to keep up in the dosage until you're at some hardcore shit, right? It's yeah, and it's the only so, way to yeah, do that's, that. Is, that's what you're there. Yeah, and and that's what Marvel has been doing. But you know, it's like, but then you got to look at how how has Marvel done it so well. And DC has fucked it up so bad. Yeah, I've never, I've never, I could never get into, I could never get into DC. It's, I loved. The, the only thing they ever did right was the first Wonder Woman. And they even fucked up Wonder Woman 1984. I mean, it wasn't, what it I, was. What I did love was the three, the three Batmans with Christian Bale. Again, because I could, yes. I could, I could good. buy into those. Here's a guy kind of like Iron Man. He's got the suit. He's got the wealth. He's got the intelligence network. He can do. You can have a bane. Yeah. Well, you Batman can... was always a very realistic character. And it's like I, I, I love the line, and it was one of the Christian Bale Batmans where I, I forget who it was who asked him, "What's your superpower?" And he says, "I'm rich." Well, yeah, but but seriously, right? It's like you could see, like you can see Bane, right? Bane is like a paramilitary guy, right? Bane is like if Dale went evil, right? Like you could see Dale taking over a city. The Joker. Um, well, I mean, what? I mean, we live in a time of like mass shooters and stuff. You could Tell see. Tell it to have had a chemicals came out with his yeah. screen. I mean, that's MK Ultra, right? That's people, right? That's people taking SSRIs and having bad reactions. But just you could <laughs> you could kind of see that, right? Like I could mm-hmm. I could suspend the disbelief enough to see that everything was he didn't fly like it was gadgets, right? He had technology. He had like him seeing through walls was sonar being pinged off every phone in the city, like. NSA, like you could very right, right. You could, you you could suspend it enough to where, like, I could do that. Like, if I'm gonna go, like, there's magic, then I don't want to like, I don't want to like mix them. It's either give me, give me believability, a Batman or an Iron Man, or give me balls deep Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. There's fucking you know Doctor Strange and Captain America in the The, same universe that doesn't quite work. It's it's either one alone or great, but. Having all of these characters in the same universe, I mean, it's almost like, and, and, and they lampshaded it because there's the scene where Thor is saying, is, is, is talking to Doctor Strange and going, well, we have wizards on Earth now, do we? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, this is totally ridiculous. Yeah, it's like, listen to the, yeah, it, it does, it starts to. You know, like Iron Man, it's like he has like, right, he's like the icing problem, right, where you do have to go above a certain altitude. And then all of a sudden it's like, but then you just have these guys like stick my hammer up into the air and fly to a different solar system. And we're like, I would have loved to see like an Iron Man on a long enough timeline where they like, you know, discover like I could like when they create Ultron, right, him and Bruce Banner. And it's yeah, right. It's the they want to who's going to take who's going to create the first strong AI like I could get behind that. Right. And it and what does the AI immediately do? It goes to all the R&D labs in the world. It goes for the nuclear codes. I could buy into that. But then it's like, like, you know, it's like the only the only route you can go is eventually you have Thanos who can snap his fingers and kill half the population of the universe. Like it's the only like you have to keep going up. Right. You got to if you're going to yeah. start with, you know, pills, the only logical end is like fentanyl. Right. It admittedly gets silly. Yes. Which is fun, which is great for what it is. But like. You do, you know, 
Yeah, it's you, you gotta. I like a logical, yeah. which I guess full. I, I've, I've been. I, I mean, I, I will admit, I keep running into walls like that with the sequel to Prime and well, like, What I was, is, a, you read my mind. What I was about to say is, I guess <laughs> this is all sort of an advertisement for, which is why I love Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, because I won't spoil yeah. it for anyone, but like you sort of can have the magic, but it's explained. You go through all the steps as to how do we get to this point? We're like, how do we get to here? And it's, well, this happens. And, you know, I, I don't want to give it, but it's, it's all completely. That's why mm-hmm. I love it is because I go, oh, this is how it would happen, right? This is how these things yeah. would unfold. Because I'm like that myself. It's like you, you, you mentioned the last time we did our so-called weekly podcast like a month ago. Fuck. Uh, th- did th- I th- tuck in the... You throw in shade? I'll fucking kick the I shit out of you. I'll tuck in the corners of I'll, my right. I'll beat the shit out of you right now. We're like, what, three for eight in our so-called hey. weekly hey, podcast? Hey, 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 hey. You have been going <laughs> to the movies with your dad the last couple weeks, correct? Don't don't fucking don't put don't put the your last, well well the last two weeks this is the first time since the COVID precautions were put into place a year and a half ago that they had movies on back to back weekends. Okay. This is the first time that's happened in a year and a half. But if you recall, you had an off week. I did. You you you, you asked me, and then the next week I got hit by a fucking hurricane. So that was like two weeks my cousin's and wedding i think we actually did a podcast and then we had another thing happen it's, it's just been no, one I, thing after no the other. no i did i did but that wasn't just you i i no. canceled on a whole week the last episode i did <coughs> i had on gordon chang the coming collapse of china and then after that episode which was a great episode i had just hit a it, it wasn't quite that i like i hit a wall but it was also just Something like cracked in my head, and I just got a bad bout of depression. I canceled a whole week of podcast. I just told everyone I'm I'm off for a week. I took that whole week off, and then I ended it with I went up to New Jersey for my cousin's wedding. That was great. Came back rejuvenated. Um, but yeah, no, we we do have we. I still call them our it's, weekly podcast. Dale's it's been, been nuts. Dale did security, and <laughs> it's not for lack of trying. Yeah, no, no. It's we tr- trust me. If I didn't want you on, I just wouldn't. I just you just wouldn't be here anymore. The fact oh, that I know. You, yeah, like, the fact you're still on shows that it's like no stuff's just actually <laughs> happening. Sundays of like Dale. Dale's been on once in the past like nine weeks, and Dale's a Sunday guest. You and Dale are the only recurring. Yeah. Dale was doing security in, in New Orleans for uh, the hurricane, and now Dale's in <laughs> San Francisco. He's been hired by some huge department store because I guess in San Francisco, the police can't stop uh, any looting of valuables under $900. So it's some law in San Francisco where people are, no, no, there are videos of people going in and just breaking glass and stealing shit, but there's a new law where police won't prosecute for under $900 or even arrest you. So as long as what you're stealing is under $900. So so the police won't come to these calls. So these people are at Target or Walmart and the cops won't. The cops legally won't come, so they've hired. They've hired Dale, ex Delta Force, and so Dale's not there to stop the looting. Dale's there to protect the the employees. So now, yeah. Now these poor looters have no idea that the guy with the handlebar mustache is a literal CIA assassin. It's. I'm, I keep saying it. It's going to happen. But we're watching the development of the real world John Wick. Someone's going to do something to Dale. Someone's going to key his car. Someone's going to... I was shooting his dog. If, I know. what I, That's what I'm saying. Well, God forbid you shoot Dale. Then we'll actually see it. But something's going to happen where someone's going to piss off someone, and you're going to be... They're going to go... They're going to go, oh, it's Dale the hired mall cop. And it's like, Dale does presidential security. 
Dale exfils people from China and Saudi Arabia. Dale's done security for Hong Kong billionaires or billionaires from Taiwan when they're visiting China and want to make sure the CCP doesn't fuck with them. And now he's protecting department stores in San Francisco. But they're offering. I asked him, I was like, why are you doing it? He's like, they're paying me through the fucking nose. And this is a guy that takes contracts as a mercenary from the State Department. And I was like, they must, because I think their logic is, is hire one Dale. We don't have to hire a whole security force. So I think they're just probably paying Dale the wage they're going to give 10 guys. Probably so. And it's also for Dale. You got to think, man, it's a smart move because that requires, he's so used to just being operating at 11. You know, he's on the side of a mountain in an Arctic storm with a sniper rifle. To him, it's probably like, it's like if someone offered me $1,000 to do a five-minute podcast. It's like, I'm so used to cranking out three-hour episodes that I'd be like, sure, you know? But Yeah, well, and yeah, and, and he's, he's used to being like, you know, doing the work of a 10-man team all on his own. I'm, I'm like that right in the software. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so it's like, yeah. And, and risking uh, death. He's, I'm not like that. You know, right saying, in he, he, you know the, the not only is he doing a ten man team by himself, Dale's normally the risk is normally uh capture, uh being denied he, by he's the He's used to people with like, you know, automatic weapons and teams coming after him and oh, yeah. now he's like going after shoplifters. He's used to That's... be he's used to working at such a dark level that like the US government will deny knowledge of him and he'll be tortured to death. So when someone's offering Dale like whatever they're offering him, like, you know, 500 yeah. an hour to come stand at a target dale's probably like yeah i'll i'll, I'll take this it's, it's a little I can use a vacation exactly i'm <laughs> i'm i'm yeah i'm i'm used to having to take down teams by myself in the dark of night in some desert using like chechnyan money and like kenyan weapons yeah he's probably going you know what <laughs> right it's like a president who goes on a speaking tour after the white house and people are mm -hmm. like why are they going on a speaking tour? They've already reached the highest ladder, and it's like because they're getting paid a hundred grand an hour to just go stand yeah. at a podium. They're used to being in the situation room, going. Option A means a thousand people die. Option B means nine hundred die. Which one? Jesus! And then I got to go out after this and go shake some queen's hand. It's like the uh, the whole the whole the Im Im image of the the room with Obama mm -hmm. when they were going yep. after Bin Laden. Neptune's you know, yeah, 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 yeah. The the situation room, yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. I'd love to see the screen they're looking at because it's probably Dale. <laughs> I'm sure they all know Dale. I'm sure they all fucking know. They're like, oh, Comstock. Oh, he, it, it, yeah. If, if 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 he isn't there, he knows the people who are. I'm yeah. sure. Because <laughs> you're talking about a very small club there. Dale, I don't. No, I don't think. I think I'm okay to say this. Dale told me that the guy that who claims he killed Bin Laden. He said he didn't. Robert J. O'Neill, the guy in SEAL Team 6, Dale told me straight to the face. He said, that motherfucker's lying through his teeth. He didn't kill Bin Laden. Now, I don't know if that means someone else on SEAL Team 6 did or if that implies some darker conspiracy. But Dale's told me stories where, like, the Navy SEALs take credit for a, uh, uh, an operation, but the reality is, is it was Delta Force, but they want the SEALs to take credit because it's a form of, like, secrecy. They want to uh -huh. mask their capabilities. I mean, I would honestly say there's probably like a 50-50 chance Dale killed Bin Laden. <laughs> like, <laughs> truly, I'd be like, if someone told me that, I, I, I'd i be like, yeah, that yeah, makes sense. It's a fucking three-dimensional chess game. <laughs> dude, the fucking stories Dale's told me, I swear to God, dude. I, 
Oh, I can't tell him because the guy that will come to kill me is Dale. So the guy that's contracted to go shut people up is also the guy that told me the story. So yeah, one day, maybe long after Dale's gone, it'll be like 2080. I'll maybe do a podcast. Um, but we've been running our stupid mouths for a half hour. Let's get this bitch started. And as I told Robert, right. I can't jinx it. But there is. All right. a- I'll let I'll let you call it after uh, each uh, of my episodes. This will be your curator's part six. Okay. Um, Hold on. Before we are start. Before we start, let me go pee. I don't want to interrupt it. But yeah, okay. curator's part six. And I told Roger I don't want to jinx it, but there's potentially the biggest guest yet. Big, big, yeah. big, 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 big fish. Big, the, the biggest, star. biggest enchilada. Big fish. The biggest of big fish coming what, up. What accent yes. am I going okay. for? The biggest of enchiladas, man. He's a big enchilada. He's this big, like big fat American woman. There is, it is the, I don't want to jinx it, and there's really no point in bragging about it because I can't say it. The only way you're going to hear about it is if I either A, do the episode, or B, we start next week, and it's just me like, I didn't get the person, and Roger acts as my therapist as I sit here and pout like a little bitch. Uh, Roger, tell him where to get it. There's a chance we might have another movie next week. God damn it. Remember oh, this. Remember. No, I I get you. Go spend time with your dad. I get it, man. It's you know I, I yeah. love talking to my parents. Our parents. They've been holding them back for a year, and now now they're all like, oh, he's hey, fa- family comes first. Spend time with your it, parents. Your yeah. parents. Parents are gone tomorrow. Spend time with them first. Yep. But for the future future moment when you say our so-called weekly episodes, just remember this. Just remember this moment. Don't listen to Roger, that gaslighting motherfucker. He'll fucking sneak in here and play with your emotions, toy with your heart, and then he'll read you a story. Roger, tell him where to get it. Lulu, right? Lulu, the Lulu? Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you want a paper copy of my book, Metamorphosis Prime Intellect, then I encourage you, instead of going to Amazon like everybody does, uh, please consider going to lulu.com instead, L-U-L-U.com, and just search for it there. They are the publisher of Origin. And the price will be the same because the deal that we had to cut so that it could be available from Amazon forbids them from underselling anyone else. But what does happen if you buy it from Lulu, I get a lot more money because I get like $6 instead of $1.50 because the money that goes to Amazon and the whole distribution chain goes straight to me because you're buying it straight from the publisher and they take the difference between what it costs them to publish it and a reasonable profit for them and they give the rest to me. So... Uh, it would just be a nice thing. But on the other hand, if you would prefer, I don't have a problem with Amazon. I get more uh, of my revenue for Mopi from Amazon than I do from any other source. And also, if you want an ebook, then those are fine from Amazon because for ebooks, for your Kindle or the other stuff, then... Amazon is the publisher of origin for those versions. So that's fine. You know, just go ahead and give Jess Bezos your money, you know, that's, um, but, uh, that's, that's the main thing. Uh, I don't know about anyone else. I like having physical copies of my favorite books. Hell yeah. It's, that's, uh, that's one thing I want to do is get a physical copy of every book of every guest I've had on. 
when I have the money. That's what yeah. I want is I want a little library. Yeah, because you've done audio books for most of them, haven't you? 99.99% of them. And I, I'm with same thing with kind of the Netflix CDs is I don't like the idea of just that file going away. Right. It's, yeah. Right. I mean, we see it with our podcast, right? It's what if someone yeah, yeah. has the what, link? What, what happened to all the episodes on YouTube? What happened to all those URLs? That's a very good point. Roger, we're going to start. I spent an entire day cataloging everything and making links and putting them on my website to, to get to the, the yeah. audio shit on, uh, on, on your blog. For my readers and then YouTube shit canned it all yeah. for reasons that had absolutely nothing to do with my content. Yeah, well, you know what, Roger? That's what you get. You're associating with a Nazi. That's what you get. I know. You're, yeah. You're going down right. with me. Yeah. All right. We'll start this and, uh, yeah, I can yeah, I mean, I mean, move my windows around like we usually do at this point. So and, this, uh, this will be Curator's okay. Part 6? Yes, yeah, so this will be your Part for, 6, yeah. but we are... Uh, we are at part 26 as it was originally published on Reddit because I was doing smaller chunks than we're doing on your podcast. So, uh, the curator's part 26. Now, as we, uh, you might recall, uh, our heroes, M and J found out that, uh, they were, uh, living a little longer than anyone expected and kind of had to go on the run, uh, so, uh, they're, uh, well, I'll just go ahead. It's like any, anyone wants to look, they can look up, uh, your, your curators part five. Um, we lost Miami before we had a chance to save it. While the Laputa was in early construction, Hurricane Wilson came across Florida's peninsula and drove a five meter storm surge into the vulnerable city. The residential suburbs were annihilated. The city persisted as a set of tall buildings with flooded basements in the old downtown, some of which were originally residential and others of which were quickly converted. But the evacuation had not gone well, and the death toll had finally dwarfed that of the Galveston hurricane of 1900. The sea was coming for many of man's works, and man was finally ready to take notice. Wilson had restrengthened after crossing Florida and made a beeline for New Orleans. There, the evacuation went better, and the massive stormworks erected in the decades after Katrina did their job, if only by inches. Many of the Wilson survivors of both Miami and New Orleans never came back. Two years later, Laputa was in space trials, and a furious debate was going on in Congress. Officially, the human alien program was international, but as a practical matter, it was Americans who built the folds and supergravity drives, and so my leaders dominated the conversation. I was officially retired, but my wife had been drafted to be the chief test pilot for the Laputa, and I had, of course, brokered the Pax Kattegat, and we had taken one of the first nanite-built houses offered in New Orleans, leading the necessary exodus of our home world. The sea was coming for a hundred other human cities. It was flooding the understory of lower Manhattan every few years, and since preventing the seawater incursion had proven impossible, Drastic measures have been taken to make the underground recoverable in the aftermath, with everything except subway tracks moved above the floodline where possible. Flood insurance had become impossible to obtain for anything on a barrier island or beach anywhere in the world, and millions of dwellings were either snapped up by the wealthy or abandoned, depending on their circumstances. When Laputa landed in Newfoundland, it was an event of galactic importance. It was the largest starship ever to make landfall in all the billions of years the galaxy had been guarded by the curators. 
the Hyacinth actually waited for us to land Laputa before been attempting to do the same with their own twin ship. Nothing like trusting the other guy's engineering. Then the decision was made that the city to evacuate first had to be New Orleans. But you couldn't land such a massive thing on the soft swamplands surrounding the city. It was them who noted that the supergravity drive used the same amount of energy no matter what its field radius was. So it took only the charge from a couple of car batteries to levitate the ship for weeks at a time. So like an object out of an Arthur C. Clarke novel, the Laputa appeared above the swamp south of New Orleans and floating vehicles began what would become the largest planetary evacuation in galactic history. The Laputa would be joined within 10 years by the Pandora and the Galactica. We built a new facility for making bowl drives and recruited five more species to help us building off-world cities. It took 20 years, but we managed to move half our population off-world without any more catastrophes like Miami, even though the Earth's seas continued to rise and their storms became ever stronger and more frequent. The consortium, which the Hyacinth has started, eventually became pretty proficient at making supergravity drives, although their yield never got better than 80% or so, while ours on Earth was over 99%. While we evacuated the Earth, it became apparent over the microfold that all over the galaxy, worlds were taking a wait-and-see attitude before starting new capital holdship projects, with the demonstration of Laputa and the understanding that something the size of a baseball made it possible to land such a thing instead of keeping it in orbit, nobody wanted to waste the resources making an old-style fold ship if they weren't sure it could, wouldn't soon be obsolete. Out in the galaxy, the economic value of human-made fold drives, which were a hundred times harder to make than supergravity drives, wasn't based on their small size. It was their nearly perfect calibration which made it possible to fold across the galaxy in a single operation and actually arrive at your target. This was a fortunate thing because we had a lot of cities to build on our colonies fast and many species were eager to trade resources to get one of those drives. And while the cities they built all incorporated human architectural motifs, they also all brought in a bit of their own. So the colony worlds took on personalities, according to both the human source culture and the aliens who had helped us build them. It made for more of a tourist industry than we had ever expected to sustain. And it was the small Earth fold ships, still the size of airliners, that made that trade possible. And the witness serum had all but eliminated human death. There were still tragic exceptions, but they were tragic because they were exceptions. There had been some discussion of keeping the serum secret or limiting its distribution, but some person whose initial might have been M or J might have had something to do with publicizing its existence. In previous circumstances, it might have devastated the foundations of our economy, but amidst the planetary evacuation, it made no real difference regarding anything except the people who would have died continued to live. But the witness serum had its limits, and futures were trading higher in the tattered remnants of the human funeral industry as we all got older. Forty years later, as I marked my 90th birthday, my doctor showed me a graph. I want you to see this first, he said. This is my response to the collagen cross-linking test since I took the serum. It rose gradually across the decade, signaling that there were some things the serum couldn't fix. Now, you may have been wondering why you, and I suppose M, look so young. This is yours. The same graph started flat and stayed flat, not rising a pixel across decades of sampling. 
So what does that mean? It means something is fixing your collagen. As far as we know, nothing can stop it from cross-linking. That would be a breakthrough. That's very funny, I said. There's nothing funny about it. You might want to come clean with us about what else was done to you. When I got home, Em and our human form curator friend were waiting. You're busted, the curator said. You need to get back to the witnesses before your own people get to you. There's a ship in orbit about to debark, and I can get you there before anyone knows. Unfortunately, I don't have the amplifier belt, so I can't get you any further than that ship on my own, and I'm very much on my own at the moment. Busted for what? I said. Obviously, you got more than just the boost serum. Some curator might have slipped the witnesses a suggestion about that. But now you need to find out just exactly what they really did so you can figure out what to do about it. We folded to the starship moments before our front door was broken down. On the alien starship, we were just human hangers-on. Metabolism type 23 showed up mysteriously, but to the aliens, your mere presence, however unexplainable, indicated the right to air, quarters, food, privacy, and transport to your next destination if there was a ship going that way. Our first journey to visit the witnesses in the horse pill had taken less than half an hour. Taking regularly scheduled galactic transports with the usual turnaround times between each leg, our return was going to take at least a year. Part 27. On the alien ship, our curator showed us how to claim quarters. First, we needed a key, which we had to have made. Aliens didn't like using direct biometrics for every access request, but they did verify that nobody with my gene print had already claimed a key aboard the ship. Then, with the key, we could claim a cabin, occupancy 2, metabolism type 23. We did all this through a touchscreen terminal with what humans would consider intolerable user interface latency. In the end, we got entry to a 40 cubic meter stateroom whose amenities, along with the nearby services, would be mostly compatible with our biological functions. We were scheduled to fold out in eight hours. We were no longer in the world of quaintly named worlds and ships. We had fortunately taught ourselves the trading language the aliens call common, so it was possible for us to pass. There were four spoken versions of common meant to accommodate different vocal capabilities, and the idea was that you learned to understand all four, but spoke the one best suited to your species. Like the human trading language Swahili, common wasn't a language meant for epic poetry, but it allowed vastly different individuals to communicate when translation services were reserved for official use and special occasions. And everything was done numerically, starting by reference to worlds on the curator's index. We were on our way to world CI-827490, about 40 light years from Earth. Our ship was the 39th built and operated by the natives of CI-627960, so it was 627960-39. Humans had built so many tiny ships that that nomenclature had broken down in our case, but we were leaving the part of the galaxy where that would be important for a while. You need to conceal yourselves the curator said. Your human habits will betray you, and I think they can track our personal folds now well enough to eventually figure out where I took you. They will then know where you are going on this leg of your journey. This filled me with panic, but M just said, 
let me make a list of some supplies we will need. We hid in the stateroom while the curator folded down to the earth and then about an hour later reappeared. This is everything you asked for, plus two tablet computers and common compatible power bricks. I have prepped them with the entire curator index and a full table of regularly scheduled transports. This should give you everything you need to find your way to the witnesses. Be careful not to reveal these machines' true capabilities, as that will reveal your origin. The curator showed us several other useful things, such as how to get the ship informational displays to show us all the fold ships present in our system. If they come after you, they will not be able to conceal it, he said. Although it will be a bit tricky for you to evade them using regularly scheduled transports, I will alert our agents that you are coming in case they can help. I never quite saw this being how I would start my ninth decade, I said after he left. I don't think either of us ever saw having a ninth decade, M said. The world was in big trouble and people our age tended to die of cancer, end up in nursing homes instead of being indistinguishable from children in their 20s. I'm not going to complain. It's our own people we are running from. They have the best technology. This is true. But I am a warrior and you are a diplomat and we are both human too. So what's the plan? She dumped out the bag the curator had brought us. It was filled with body paint and a hair trimmer kit. What do off-worlders know about humans? We wear clothes and we have hair on our heads and no more cut the curators. So we will invert all of those things. She opened up the haircut kit and handed me the electric trimmer. You'll have to do me, she said. You want me to cut off your hair? Oh, I'm going to follow up by cutting off all yours. Even, she glanced significantly at my crotch. We're going to play much hairier beings than we really are that ritually shaved ourselves, thus explaining our current total nakedness, and then painted up, of course, thanks to the Raiders for teaching us that art. The last part of the disguise was, of course, the mark, which she put at the small of our backs. It's not very convincing, so our story will be that it's indifferently colored hair when we're not shaved, Em advised. Usually when the mark is in fur color, there are also skin differences. Yes, but the body paint would hide those, and I think most observers will casually assume that we trace them. When we were properly made up, we left the room to find typical alien travel bags, which were, of course, free for the taking at a convenient dispensary. We found a disposal and got rid of our earth clothes. We kept a few Earth ID items and tablets in our kits, which we wore over the shoulder in a fashion that had been common throughout the galaxy since long before our own ancestors learned to use fire. After the ship folded, we waited a couple of hours and then checked the system status display. It showed a human fold ship had entered the system mere minutes after our ship had. When we got back to the cabin, it was occupied. Our visitor was tall and covered in thick, dark fur, her mark of the curators is bleached white on her chest where a human female's breast would be. Let me guess, you walk among these folks, I said as we entered. Good to guess, she said in perfect English. My colleague said you were in trouble, easy to see how. And you saw right through our disguises, I said. Oh, that's just us, she said brightly. I can see your genomic structure as clearly as you can see skin color. You are definitely human. But most of our children will look right past you unless they've been studying Earth pornography. Right now, we have what you call a shell game to play. There are three regular trade fold ships, including this one in orbit here. 
They are all traditional forms, so none of them can land and depend on orbital transports. And then there are your people who can land, but can't dock with the other two ships. Since it visits Earth regularly, they can dock with this one, which means she offered her hands. Are we safe now? Em asked after we got a cabin on the new fold ship. Not really. They have several days, and while our information systems don't record the wealth of data yours do, if they are thorough, and our experience is that humans can be remarkably thorough, they will interview enough passengers to learn of the odd couple that fits no known pattern. I'm not sure if their single ship could detect or track my fold activity, so they will know that you are on one of these three ships, and if necessary, they can deploy teams to follow all three to their destinations. This is hopeless, I said, thudding my head against the wall behind me. If it was hopeless, I wouldn't be here, the curator said. We didn't populate the galaxy by doing hopeless. What do we do then? Keep doing what you are doing. I am contacting our agents on the world where the ship is going. You will not be alone. But then she disappeared. I hope that means she knows that they can't track her, I said. Let's adjust our disguises, M said more helpfully. After we folded, there were soon two human fold ships in the new system. I consulted the tablet and found we'd also gone 10 light years in the wrong direction to get where we wanted to be. This being pursued thing would not do. Our new curator liaison was feathered, very much like the hyacinth, but with a more mammalian toothy mouth and large and dark gray feathers. It spoke in the common dialect we call clacky. Your pursuers are dangerously close, it said seriously. Obvious, M replied in the more friendly, a human-friendly soft dialect. This has to conclude. Fortunately, our leaders have finally concurred. Please. It offered us its wing foreclaws, and when we took them, we retreated to a dizzying flash of world after world as we folded over and over again, finally settling on the familiar palace courtyard of the witnesses. Before we could voice the question, our host opened its tunic to reveal an amplifier belt. Your home curator convinced our leaders that we had created your trouble, and so we had an obligation, it said. Nothing in the galaxy could follow us now, and we are told that your people do not know of this place. We are mostly sure of that, M said. I have alerted your hosts, and they are waiting for you, it said. What we did not know at that time was that our superiors were doing a fine computer analysis of the fold logs from the horse pill. It hadn't been tracked to the witnesses by any known entity, but it had kept its own tracking log of what it had done. Following those 40-year-old logs across thousands of light years was a non-trivial task, but they had put some of the best engineers on Earth on the job of tracing our steps, and so the people chasing us did in due course figure out the curator's index of the witnesses' world. Part 28. The president of the witnesses looked exactly as she had 40 years previously. M and I did not. We looked noticeably younger and healthier despite our advanced age. And this was a problem because the boost serum they had given humanity doesn't reverse most of the hazards of already being old. It only slows down further aging. We were naked and in body paint so as to hide our identity on our travels. 
Welcome back, the president said. We expected to see you again, but not quite so soon. I realize this is not how you would choose to present yourselves to others. We have orders and clothing for you if you would like to adjust your appearance. That would be nice, M said. In our private room, clothes were laid out for us on a much more earth-like bed than we had been assigned on our first visit. After washing off the body paint, we looked at the clothes and M said, these appear to be just like the outfits we were wearing on our last visit. Not duplicates, though, I pointed out. More like reproductions. They're made with natural fibers. I don't think you can do that with nanites. When we returned to the conference room, there was a buffet of very convincing Earth-like food. We nibbled and sat with the leaders of the witnesses and the feathered curator who had brought us to them. To begin, we owe you an apology, the president said. We could not resist the temptation to test our biological understanding on beings who do not have any of the 35 known genomic triggers that create the mark of the curator in various species. You made us immortal, I asked. None of us is immortal, she said. We don't age and we heal very well. You will find that you can last a very long time without oxygen and you will regenerate limbs and nerve damage that you couldn't before. But enough trauma done quickly enough, particularly to your brain, will kill any of us. Barring that, how long can we expect to live, Em asked. We honestly can't say. The boost which we give to any species that asks for it is generic to your individual members once we tailor it to your species. It mostly corrects things that are easy to correct, but which evolution doesn't bother to. The cure, which provides for longer life, is much more individually specific. On the long term, there are thousands of more subtle equilibria that have to be stabilized and sources of damage to repair. We would have advised you to return in 40 or 50,000 years for a checkout, after which we could give you a clearer long-term picture. With such a checkup, I think we could guarantee several hundred thousand years, and depending on certain tests, would be more likely to suggest between two and three million years as a likely target. Further checkups might extend even that. I don't think we have any idea how to thank you, I said. You shouldn't thank us. We did it to you without warning, and we know it isn't unheard of for those who haven't received our gifts to capture and dissect to those of us who have to try unlocking our secrets. We did it because you are the only living beings we have ever seen a planet folded into its star, and because each of you has done something famous, victory in rare fold ship battle, and brokering the most unlikely peace accord the galaxy has seen in aeons. Our motives were selfish, and we should have at least told you what we were doing. Do the people who dissect your beneficiaries ever get what they're looking for? No, which is the most annoying thing about that. As with your folds drives, there isn't really any secret to the cure, except a long period of learning, building specialized machinery, and a lot of hard work, which must be executed perfectly to make use of that knowledge. The cellular mechanisms we inserted into your bodies are tuned to your individual genotypes, and any one of them will only work for a small fraction of other beings, even of your own species. Our library of such tweaks and our understanding of how to deploy them is vast, though. We were mildly surprised not to find any surprises in your genome related to your lack of the mark. These clothes seem to be replicas of what we wore on our last visit, M said. Ah, yes, so they are. It is our mission to witness what we can. So we examined your clothing while we were working on your bodies, and we found it a fascinating source of mystery. 
Their clothes were made of a mix of natural and synthetic fibers assembled somehow to be much tougher and more durable than anything we could make for ourselves if we needed such material. We sought to learn your techniques for reference. She dialed a code on a touchpad and had a brief conversation in a very non-human language. Let me introduce you to our fabric researcher. We took a brief ride on a hover scooter through palace halls and courtyards and came to a large room filled with fabric samples. A male witness approached and said in less natural but perfectly understandable English, welcome to the textile lab. We bowed. Are these samples from all over the galaxy, I'm asked? No, these are all from Earth. No other world makes fabric such as humans do. He led us past rows of samples of silk, cotton, synthetics, and blends to a loom. Even with your open historical records, it took us five years to build a machine which could theoretically do industrial production of cloth, such as you were doing on Earth 400 Earth years ago, before you even had electricity. Nanites are remarkably unhelpful in building a loom. Why do you take such an interest in this? M asked. We think it made you what you are. Everybody is so impressed with your fold drives, and make no mistake, they are impressive, that they lose the thread of where your ability to make such things came from. And we find in your modesty habit and your insatiable need for cloth the thing that drove your first quest to make a really complex machine, despite your lack of nanite technology. Some speak of your aggressiveness and your talent for war, but you were still making weapons by handicraft when you were making textiles by industrial techniques. It would be over a hundred years into your industrial revolution before you learned to make firearms as well as you could make cloth. While we were thinking of that, a loudspeaker broadcast something in what we had come to assume was the witness's own language. We should go back to the conference room, the president said. Your pursuers have found you. We have come to the earth to recover two human fugitives. We have reason to believe they might have come to this world. We have the ability to land on any small flat place. Please advise. The president looked at us and pressed a touch button. Why do you seek these fugitives? She asked. They are dangerous. Their presence on your world places you in great jeopardy. For reference, this is a smile. She said to us, flashing what we as humans would call something like a grimace. Then she hit the touchpad. Landing directions are forthcoming. She touched another point. Guide the Earth ship to our north courtyard, then make sure they can't leave. They are the violent ones, M said. We know. Half an hour later, the other humans stomped into the room carrying J-20 combat firearms. So nice of you to hold them for us, their leader said with a sneer. Oh, we didn't hold them for you. We used them as bait. Em and I looked at one another. The other humans raised their rifles but stopped halfway and collapsed, twitching. Your real reason for coming here is that you want our technology. Too bad that technology makes it so easy for us to synthesize a paralytic to target your genome, the president said. Wait, if your paralytic targets humans, why are we still upright? Em asked. Well, one of the other things we neglected to warn you about is that after the cure, you aren't exactly human anymore. There are some who feel the cure destroys the individual, changing them to a new and alien being. It does make you sterile by design, but you had already foregone reproduction within your natural window for that. But you did it to us, even though some people feel that way about it. 
those people are idiots and you didn't strike us as being that stupid. She gestured toward our now fully immobile pursuers. Put these lot to sleep and process them. M, you are familiar with Earth technology. Would you do us the favor of giving their ship a look over? With pleasure, she said. Incidentally, I wrote all this well before the current vaccine for Fluffle, in case you were wondering. <laughs> Part 29. While the witnesses did whatever it is they do to those who try to steal their secrets, we made our way to the pursuer's ship with the curator and a couple of witness technicians. It had been painted black, but their ship looked awfully familiar. Tell me this isn't the horse pill, I said as we walked up. Not sure, Em said. Biometric entry pad would be new, but if it's our ship... She traced down from the keypad and found a small recessed panel, which she gave a sharp whack. The door popped open. It's the horse pill, she said. We never had much use for security, and most of the places we went getting locked out was a bigger problem. There's an impact switch hidden there. They obviously missed it when they refitted it. Where the hell did they get a full drive? That's a good question. I personally removed serial number 122 and helped install it in the Trinity class Ajax. Inside the ship, the full drive console was buzzing frantically and the display background had turned red. That doesn't look good, M said as she tried the controls. Everything was frozen. It wasn't even clear how to pass a, and or a passcode to get access. The lockout could be any stupid thing, M said. These guys obviously like their secrets. Console let out five long blasts and began flashing. Fold activity, the curator said. Well, we're still here. If it's trying to fold, why isn't it succeeding? We operate a fold inhibitor, one of the witness techs said. Really, M said, a member of a certain elder race once told us they would destroy it if we had put an inhibitor online. The witnesses shudder it for us. It takes three to 400 milliseconds to form a fold, and the inhibitor is only open for about 130 milliseconds per window. If you don't know the schedule, you can't get through. Oh, and this thing is retrying about every eight seconds. Let's see if they bothered to hide the diagnostic tools. She went to a panel and wrapped it. Like the one outside the ship, it popped open. Fucking amateur, she said. She turned the hidden display on and a dense list of control codes began scrolling by. She paused it a few times and said, what the hell? What is it? We need to pull the floor, like right now. There was a tool bag inside the panel beneath the display. It contained a utility knife, which we used to cut the rubber flooring so we could fold it out of the way, and a security screwdriver, which fitted the recessed screws around a metal floor plate. A few minutes later, we were looking at a silver sphere about half a meter across, which was cradled in a nest of spring-loaded electrodes. M pulled a lever on its arm, and the largest electrode right at the top popped up and away. At this point, the pilot's console protested one last time and crashed out to a command prompt. Didn't think of that one, did you fuckers? M went back to the console and tapped a few commands into the interface. You remember how to work all this stuff after all these years? I asked, not ironically. 
like riding a bicycle, she said. I designed this control protocol. She looked at a couple of readings, then what looked like a couple of file dumps, then a couple of other things a bit more frantically. This isn't possible, she finally said. What isn't? But she had already turned and blown past me and started releasing the electrode holders around the spherical fold drive. When it was free, she asked me to help her. Fucking thing mass is 60 kilograms, she said. And at her direction, I helped her turn it over. On what had been its side was an area of engraved symbols. The most prominent said serial number 0104. When M saw it, she collapsed on her haunches as if the air had been let out from her. It's one of the eight, isn't it? I asked. She nodded gravely. The eight what? One of the witness techs asked. The first eight fold drives the humans made were capable of being detuned, the curator explained. They were supposed to be destroyed after the event M&J here witnessed where a world was folded into its sun by that mechanism. So every fold drive can be detuned. It's why we have the inhibitor. Ours are small and they can be remotely controlled, I said. Notice nobody was here to operate it. Was it trying to fold the world away? It wasn't just trying to hide itself? It was scrambling the prime calibration constant. New drives won't take anything out of the narrow range we know to be safe. There's only one reason for the drive console to send such a command to the sphere. She went to the console and sat down. Fortunately, everything these assholes know about computer security could be written on a grain of sand at 24-point type. I'll need a human-made portable data drive and a tablet. With these idiots, we can probably find both on board. Four days later, we watched as our pursuers were led to a meeting wearing short-sleeved white robes. We had a bit of an argument with the witnesses about what to call this affair. They insisted the trial, inquest, and hearing were all wrong, but they couldn't tell us an English word for what it was that was right. Human Q, the witness running the affair finally said, you and your associates have been caught pursuing for capture those who have received our gifts and leaving a trap upon our world which attempted to destroy the entire planet. Now you will learn our response. We don't get a plea or a defense? No, I believe your fellow humans do have questions for you. So where did you get the fold drive? M asked sweetly. I got a big asshole, the leader Q said. Just popped out one day. I pulled the cover cloth that was concealing the fold drive on the stand next to us. Does your asshole have serial number 104, I asked. All right, you're good, you admitted. But fuck you. One day the people who sent me will get you anyway. Are you really stupid enough to think we would destroy something as valuable as a fold drive just because you don't like what else can be done with it? Well, we did destroy an awful lot of nuclear weapons. And I'm guessing some of the people who sent you here diverted this. Back on Earth, there will probably be a hearing and an inquiry, and I bet a trial. Q shrugged. If the people who sent you don't capture and dissect you first, the leading witness said. We all looked at her. And why would they do that? Q asked evenly. Because we gave you what you came here for. We don't believe in violence ourselves, but we reasoned that it would only be just to make you live with the same kind of nuisance we foisted on our guests. We will, of course, make sure that all the official channels on Earth are aware of what happened here and what we have done. You made them immortal? I yelled a bit undiplomatically. 
none of us is immortal, the witness said, and I slapped my own forehead. We will need our stuff in our ship then, Q said. We have confiscated your possessions. We will let you keep these robes in furtherance of your known modesty habit. You will board the next old transport to Screet. We will give you a comfortable head start to travel elsewhere from there before we let your employers know what is going on. Hugh looked squarely at him and me. I will personally kill you both, he said. You were going to do that anyway, Em said. How's that working out so far? Later, the president entertained us with the world's best distilled spirits and snacks. I'm surprised Q didn't lunge for me across the room, Em said, as she ate something that had once been an actual animal and not nanite ooze. We reserved a mechanism to remotely paralyze and torture them, the president said, as if this was the most normal thing ever. It will wear away with disuse once they leave our influence, but they learned that obedience is best while they are our guests. And what about us? Well, we had no reason to implant discipline mechanisms in you. No, I mean, what are we to do? We'll probably end up on the same ship with those assholes. We were thinking otherwise. There is, after all, an unclaimed and operable human vessel available. We were thinking of giving it to you. The fold drive is just like every other fold drive in the galaxy, she completed for me. I cannot think of two beings I would trust more with it and to observe the condition we would place on our gift. What condition? We would not attempt to impose, but just to ask. As you know, we believe the purpose of life is to witness. I suppose you will find it uncomfortable to revisit your own species for some time, but there is a large galaxy out there full of life. Take your ship and witness it for us. Come back once in a while and tell us stories about what you've seen. That's a good offer, Em said as she threw back a shot of the liquor. Offhand, I would like to ask for two things. Please. First, we have to repaint the goddamn ship. I am not going to fly a black ship. We can accommodate that. We might have to get appropriate coatings from Earth, but we can arrange to do that discreetly. What else do you request? If we are going to be traveling the galaxy, both our clothing and our bare skin will stand out. Can you use your technology to give us fur? Very easily, she said. Part 30. While our fur grew out in a surprising pattern of yellow and black jaguar-like stripes, the witnesses helped us provision our ship. We watched our human pursuers board the shuttle that would take them to a world with more regular fold service to the rest of the galaxy. We asked the witnesses to give us the mark of the curators since they had all the genetic codes to do that, but they absolutely refused on the principle that they were not the owners of the mark. We had faked it before, though, so we made sure to stock some dyes that would work on our new fur, and the witnesses had no problem helping us with that. Witnessing aside, we were planning to spend a lot of time camping on undeveloped worlds simply to avoid trouble. But while they were painting our ship, the feathered curator found us. I hear you are looking for places to go to exercise your new freedom, it said. I guess we're taking suggestions, Em said. I have one. You want a low-tech world where you won't be easily tracked. I know of one that's out of quarantine, but its development has been quite vexing to us. I am sending information to your computers. I watched the transfer progress. That's a hell of a big file for a curator's index, I said. I'm including a language transmission matrix. 
there probably won't be anyone on the planet who can speak common and it won't cause a problem for you to expose your own human tech capabilities. Wait, if they don't have anyone who can speak common, how do they trade? They don't. That's what we find vexing. At the direction of a witness who styled himself an artist, they painted our ship white on the bottom and a mottled blue and green camouflage pattern on the sides and top that he believed would keep it from standing out in most of the foliated areas of curated worlds. When we told him what we wanted next, there was a bemused search for an expendable glass bottle with its shattering and splash of wine. The old horse pill was rechristened from whatever her, our pursuers had called it to the plausible deniability. There are very few worlds in the galaxy where this would be thought to be anything other than a ground-to-ground -ground transport, the artist said to us. And for the most part, we don't have the human habit of naming ships or scheduling their comings and goings the way you do. So you should just be able to slip in or out of most systems and just park it somewhere rural without attracting much attention. When we discussed this with the curator, it shrugged in its avian fashion. To approach most worlds, I would advise folding to the outer system where the nanite-based fold drives won't have the range to detect your activity and then use the supergravity drive to close the distance. Nobody has the kind of radars humans do that would be alerted by the fast motion of a small object. But if you go to the place I suggested, you don't need to bother with precautions. They have no detection technology of any kind. You never gave them the fold? Oh, we tried. You'll find out how that went. Oh, and another hint, and another reason we make this suggestion, you don't need to go to a lot of effort to pretend to have our mark. So a few months after we returned to the witnesses, we left them, and M dialed in the coordinates of the world the feathered curator had suggested. From high orbit, the world seemed undeveloped, but from a bit closer, we realized that there was an area about the size of Europe in its temperate latitudes that was dotted with obvious cultivated fields and towns. There were a couple of cities that might have had 10 or 20,000 inhabitants. There were roads, but they were earthen and difficult to detect, even from low orbit. Finally, we settled on what seemed to be an agricultural suburb of one of the larger cities and landed in a semi-wild area at the edge of cultivation. We wore our self-contained human tech translator pendants loaded with the translation matrix we'd seen provided and walked toward the nearest cluster of dwellings. When we got close, a female child noticed and approached us. She had fur too, but an even brown color, and she had a somewhat bare light, but much flatter snout. Are you from off-world? She asked. Yes, I said. Is there a fold ship in the sky? No, we landed our ship over there. Was it made by the tiny builders? No, if it was made by nanites, it would be the size of a mountain. My instructor says that only the tiny builders can make the fold drive. That's true for most people, but our people figured out how to make our own fold drives. Would you tell my instructor that? The curators told our ancestors that was impossible. When the child turned around to lead us, I realized that she had no obvious mark anywhere on her body, but she did have a very old and prominent scar in the middle of her back in one of the places where the mark is often found. Her instructor turned out to be working out with what uncannily resembled a one-room schoolhouse. Inside, about 20 immature aliens of various ages were studying, and she rose when we entered. Teacher, I met some aliens on the road. My, that hasn't happened in a while. Nobody noticed a full ship approaching, and they're very hard to hide. Ours is tiny. We make our own full drives without using nanites, M said. 
We were told this is impossible, she said. The curators themselves made their own bodies into fold drives. Our technique isn't nearly as advanced as theirs, but it's much better than what you can do with nanites. You're obviously not from here, but I don't think I can believe this unless I see your craft. So much for keeping a low profile, I thought, as we hiked back to the plausible. The little girl came with us. When we reached the ship, the instructor said, this tiny thing is a starship? Yes. Show me. Inside, she regarded the computer screen skeptically, although the girl was thrilled. We know the limits on these things, the teacher said. You are using the microfolds for your translator in these displays, right? No, it's all self-contained. We are kind of hiding from our people. And why would you be needing to hide from them? We stole their starship, M said, before I had a chance to tell the truth. There's only one way I will ever believe this thing can fly in space, she said defiantly. So I closed the hatch while Em took the pilot seat. She took us straight up until the sky was black and the horizon very curved. Then she folded us out to the planet's moon. I hope you can get them home. There's no navigational aids down there, I said. I had the computer take visual waypoints on the way down. All my life, I have been told that while this is beautiful, it is also a trap because if we accept the gift of the nanites, we would have no real control over them and we would be giving our destiny over to the curators. The ancestor who made that observation is considered one of our greatest philosophers and he is widely honored among our people. But if your people really made this ship yourselves, we must reconsider some of our teachings. Our gravity plating is made of nanites, but only because what we can make ourselves is more expensive and doesn't work any better, so we just buy it from others. We made everything else ourselves, and most of it works better and gives us more control than what can be made with nanites. The curators never offers the gift of nanites, nor most of the other gifts their curated children receive. If they had given us nanites, maybe we wouldn't have gone to the trouble, but they didn't, so we did. Do you have any idea why the curators denied you? Many of us are impulsive and violent. They thought we would be dangerous, and for a while we proved they might be right by overpopulating our world and killing ourselves by the millions in warfare. And how did that work out? Many of us, including too many of our leaders, can still be violent and paranoid, but we have improved a lot. We've expanded to colony worlds to reduce the population pressure and adopted more reasonable population growth policies. And we've made peace with some in the galaxy by giving our technology to some races that had their own needs, which the curators weren't meeting. Instead of taking us home, could you take us to a different place? There are people who need to hear your story and see this craft. For people who seem to be living in a Bronze Age subsistence existence, their knowledge of geography and science was surprisingly complete. She easily guided us to a park in their capital city where a modest crowd gathered after watching our descent. The streets carried regular traffic of draft animals resembling oxen pulling carts made of wood and metal fittings. I realized that the female child was still with us. Won't someone miss her, I asked the teacher as we walked toward a large wood frame building. I am her guardian while she is learning, and I can't think of a better place for her to be as you tell our leaders what you have already told me. Part 31.
the crowd was light and we easily moved through it toward the council. 20 individuals sitting in a circle with no clear leader. Their chairs were fixed in place, a bit elevated, and there was space between them for aides and others to walk. We watched for a bit as an ornate baton was passed around. Only the member holding the baton spoke. The instructor left her student with us as she embarked on some kind of attention-getting protocol. Finally, the baton was passed to a new member who said, We have alien visitors. I am advised that we should put aside our ordinary business and hear their testimony while they favor us with their presence. All signal. Most of the members held their arms up, and we were nudged into the circle where we met the instructor again. Greetings, visitors, the baton-holding speaker said. Teachers, we, it is good to see you again. I am told you will introduce our friends. As you know, there has been no obvious fold ship in our sky for over 30 years, so it was a surprise when my students we, brought these individuals to meet me. They took me to their fold ship, which is not made of nanites and is barely four sweet long. They used it to take me to our moon to show that it is what they claim. They tell me that their people share our suspicion of the tiny builders and that they found their own path to higher technology, which is in some ways better than what we could have attained by accepting the tiny builders. I know little more of their story than that, but I thought you should hear the rest. Then welcome, visitors. This is interesting indeed. Why did your people reject the tiny builders and how did you manage to make your own high technology without them? The curators never offered us the nanites or any other technology, I said. There was an audible gasp as the translator repeated this. The curators decided our people were too violent and unpredictable, so they tried to hold us back, but we found our own way. Do you come here with violent intentions? No, but we do come here because others would do violence to us. We stole the ship, we fly from them. We were advised that this was a world out of quarantine where our technology would not attract the notice of our pursuers. What was your offense? We accepted a gift from another race, which they covet. They would do violence to try and take it from us. It's a long story. Let us keep for now to the story of your technology then. You are aware of the curator gift of the tiny builders, even though it was denied to you? Yes, 50 years ago, our first experiments with the full drive were noticed and we were contacted. Our ancestors, paranoid and suspicious as we tend to be, recognized that nanites were, the translator probably cannot handle that, that the nanites were elegant, but their true intent was to maintain control over us. That is exactly the conclusion to which our ancestors came, the council speaker said. How did you manage to make a fold drive without the tiny builders? We had to discover agriculture on our own. Over thousands of years, we went to war with ourselves over resources. That gave us a strong incentive to make better weapons, which meant learning metalworking. Then about 500 years ago, we entered an age of spiraling knowledge of science and engineering. We figured out the scale and extent and workings of the physical universe, and we built vast industries directed toward both war and trade. Then one day we realized the full drive was possible and that it was within our capability to build it. So your aggression, which made the curators cautious of you, was the very thing that allowed you to bypass their feathered leash. At what point did you begin to obliterate their mark? We didn't have to obliterate our mark of the curators. The curators didn't mark us. I guess they didn't think they had given us enough to justify it. 
there was an audible gasp from the crowd and some of the council members. That is unprecedented. An unmarked sapient species? Yes. What would you think the chances are that a peaceful race might learn your methods? Possible. We have already shared some of our methods with others for things the nanites were not providing them. For war? No, to avoid it. The universe is full of resources, and after thousands of years of war, we now understand that there is no longer any reason to be in conflict over them. We are not in conflict with anybody. We are content. We are more knowledgeable than you might realize. There are a few races which visit us once in a while, and thousands of us have traveled the fold and seen other worlds. At this, the few council member hands went up. The speaker passed the baton to his left. My colleague speaks a common but not universal opinion. We are not in conflict, but we would also be helpless if others did decide they covet what we have. And we are stuck in place, dependent on other races to travel and learn. Would you be willing to share your methods with us? Em and I looked at one another. We would, she said, but starting from where you are, it would be a vast project. It took lifetimes for us to go from your current level of technology to the fold drive. Another energetic hand went up and the baton was passed. As a people, we are not afraid of work. And we will live our lifetimes, or the, whether we live them in an in endeavor or stasis. Friends, are you planning to stay with us for a while? Yes, we have no other immediate plans. Please stay with us as we discuss this among ourselves. And if I'm not mistaken, this note I've been passed says that your little fold ship is in the courtyard out in front of our hall. Yes, it is. I really hope you won't mind then if some of us ask you for a ride. I've long dreamed of seeing another world up close. We took her and several other council members up about an hour later. Scree here has actually folded before when she was young and the last aliens visited us, one of her colleagues said with a snort. She just had to do it again. Could you show us one of the other worlds of our solar system, she asked. Easily. This is a starship. M fiddled with the controls, and within minutes, we were looking over the horizon of a frozen moon at the gas giant. How did you match velocity? The counselor said with sudden sharpness. We have a device called the supergravity drive, which uses fold technology, but can't be made with the nanites the curators provide. It can fold gravity from one place to another to accelerate us at will. Nobody has ever had this technology, she said flatly. We spent days falling toward worlds like that to do what you just did in a moment. Well, the curators have it, M said, and built into their bodies. We still can't figure out how they do some of the things that we've seen them do. But you are trying, the counselor said. And that is what we must now do. We were shown to an apartment a short distance from the council chamber, and our instructor and student were also given quarters. We all had dinner together on the ground floor where there was what humans would call a restaurant, except there was no mechanism to pay the staff. And unlike on worlds with nanite technology, the food was all natural and obviously took non-trivial sapient labor to prepare. How are the workers compensated? M asked as we were served. Our meal was a roasted small game animal dressed with vegetables. The witnesses had assured us that with our enhancement, there was nothing obviously edible in the galaxy that would poison us. So we dug in, and it was exotic. Nanite food was good, but it was also extremely consistent and uniform. 
unlike an actual animal or plant, it occurred to me that Earth might well be the only other world in the galaxy out of the critical path quarantine where such food was normal fare. They get to have a job well done, the teacher answered. Our way of life is such that there are far more of us than there are jobs needing to be done. So there is a brisk competition for the privilege of doing work that we do need. There is greatly enhanced status in doing needed work. The more needed the work, the better your reputation for doing it well, the more enhanced your status. If we accept the challenge of raising your technology, there will be more work to be done than you can possibly imagine. I suspect that is one of the things the council finds attractive about the idea. While the council debated amongst themselves, Em and I had our own discussions. I know how to make a fold dry, but I don't know how to make a soldering iron, Em complained. I know how to calculate the stresses in a suspension bridge, but I don't know how to make a machine that could string its massive cables. I don't know how to make the machines that make the machines that make what I was taught to use. Same in medicine, I said. They are really held back because after nanites, all the curators further gifts assume the use of nanites. They have no chemical processes, even at small scale, so all their medicines are natural. They're very smart about identifying and purifying them, but they don't get very good antibiotics, and they regularly die if they attempt surgery. They would probably live half again as long as they do on average with even the medical technology of our own early 20th century. And I don't know any of that stuff either. It hadn't been taught for decades when I was in school because who uses a mortar and pestle when you can have custom molecules robotically synthesized and delivered the next day? We've got the basic encyclopedia on the pad we found, but it's not detailed enough. We need engineering references and textbooks, old references that don't assume modern sources. You know, there's only one place we can get those and we can't go there now. That was where I intended to wrap this one up. Full circle, it comes back to the Netflix CDs. <laughs> but it does, right? It's you get to a point where you don't have the tech. You don't. If this cites this, cites this, cites this, it's like uh, the guy I've had on here a couple times, David Stumpf, the ICBM historian, and he he doesn't like citing anyone else. So because he was like, what happens when you can't find that book? So his books are, although dense, it's it's firsthand research. It's him visiting silos. It's him talking to the engineers and writing it down. He doesn't cite anything because it all he is the root source. But I mean, that's kind of what we were talking about earlier, though, right? Like, right, having your own library of books. Like, what happens when, well, this is based on this, based on this, right? What happens when the technology and the skills are lost? There's a lot of themes in it that are, I mean, are distinctly human, right? It's all about advancing technology. It's all about how did you get this? How did we get this? And then it's also like, right, does anyone know how to build like a cathode tube ray? Like, does anyone know how to... Does like would anyone be able to construct a like a like a telegraph like a telegram or a telegraph? Like there, there is actually a guy in France who has published uh, a very long YouTube video showing how he recreated the manufacture of the Type R hard vacuum uh, triode from World War One uh, from scratch using modern materials and uh, in his uh, of course it's all in French because he's. He's French, but 
uh, and the subtitles, one of the things you said, I was convinced that this must be possible because these things had been created by mortals. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's to, to go, to go back. I, I kind of want to talk about the, the very beginning, uh, Miami. So can you go more into that? What is it? Is it a super hurricane a super hurricane or was it a, like an asteroid strike? What led to the, Oh, it was a, it was, it was a big hurricane. It was a category five hurricane hitting Florida and they haven't had one since what was it? Andrew, uh, back in the nineties. Uh, so this is a thing, you know, Ida was itself one of those things just two months ago. And, uh, to this day, every morning, one of the things I hear is this is day 56 since, uh, Ida made landfall because they're still picking up so many pieces. They only started getting FEMA housing for people who lost their houses, uh, to the South and West of new Orleans, this week was Ida really that uh, big? It wasn't big. It was about. It, it was not as big as Katrina, but it wasn't as small as Camille. It wasn't a flooding storm, but it was a very bad windstorm, and it messed the fuck up out of the electrical grid, which is one of the reasons I didn't have electricity for two weeks and and internet. Uh, and as bad as that was in New Orleans, it was much worse in the parishes south and to the west of us, uh, where you know, which were closer to the landfall. Uh, so you've got a lot of smaller towns down there, which were almost wiped off the face of the earth. Uh, you've had people who have been since the storm living in houses with no roof uh, or in trailers or pickup trucks, stuff like that. Uh, and they're just now starting to pick up the pieces. And that was not, you know, and, and my vision was that Wilson was the, the mother of all storms. It was, it was the beginning of the global warming uh, greatest hits list. Yeah, yeah. When it, no pun intended, when it really starts to sort of like come to shore, right? Right. Uh, you know, that it, it, it hits Miami with a storm surge like Camille hit the Gulf Coast of Mississippi in the 1960s and, uh, or that Katrina hits uh, a similar area. Now, I think about uh, Camille is probably the most powerful hurricane that ever hit an inhabited area, but it was a very small, compact storm. Uh, it had winds, sustained winds of at least 200 miles an hour. Jesus. And we... And we know that they were that strong because that was why, where the anemometer in Gulfport broke. Yeah, yeah. Jesus so, Christ. But that intensity only affected about 20 miles of the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, which at the time was not inhabited. You know, it wasn't like a large city. You know, it was fairly populous, but not like hitting a, a town like New Orleans or Miami. Uh, so then of course we had a few more, uh, you know, specials and then Katrina, Katrina was a flooding storm. It piled up an enormous storm surge out in the Gulf of Mexico. And then it actually weakened wind wise before it hit land. So it was only a category three wind wise when it hit New Orleans, but it had piled up this Category 5-level storm surge that had been started, and nothing was stopping it. Uh, and that's what flooded the city. So 
Ida was more like Camille. It was uh, a windstorm. It was a category four, maybe five at New Orleans for wind, but it, but it was faster moving. It didn't have all these flooding effects. But what it did do is knocked over every goddamn telephone pole 50 miles. It was like, I've never seen the electrical grid shredded uh, as badly as that. Um, you know, you know, it would be great. It's been a while since we've done a Professor Roger episode. Yes. <laughs> I would love to, I would love to hear like a history of hurricanes, like specifically like New Orleans. I think that could be bad because oh. when when that, with the for everyone listening, the early episodes it was Professor Roger. We would just do like the history of vacuum tubes, the history of pornography, the like you know tarot cards, uh, astrology, uh, big data, um, and I fucking loved those episodes. And I just realized it's been a while since we've done Professor Roger. And Grant, I don't think it works if I pick the topic. I think like me picking guests, I think you have to pick. No, something. hurricanes. Hurricanes are a, a topic of. In, I mean, I have no choice but to have some attention yeah, paid to them because every once in a while one of them tries to kill me. Um, <laughs> I actually had uh, one of the anecdotes that I have about hurricanes, though, is uh, we evacuated for Hurricane George in the late nineties. Uh, and at the time we were doing the casino thing uh, with mm -hmm. the card counting team. And so we had juice at the casinos. And so we evacuated to Tunica where we had a suite. So we were living high, right? While we wondered if we were going to have a home to come back to after the storm hit. Well, in true, and, in true gambling style, you go out <laughs> not knowing if you're going to have a home when you come back. So, uh, so at the time there was a guy named Nash Roberts who was a weather forecaster in, uh, in New Orleans. He worked for uh, WWL Channel 4 in New Orleans his entire career. And there were many, many people who would not listen to anybody else but Nash because he correctly predicted what Hurricane Betsy was going to do in 1965 when it came on shore. And so there were people who were religiously devoted to Nash Roberts. They would, like, they would not listen to anybody else. And in fact, one of the reasons so many people left New Orleans for Katrina is that Nash Roberts evacuated. It was the first time since Betsy that Nash Roberts left New Orleans for the hurricane. And he let everybody know. And a bunch of people who had never evacuated before went, oh, my God, Nash is getting out of Dodge. We need to fucking leave. Well, during uh, the run up to George and, and Nash is was very old school, okay? So at this time in 19, you know, in like 97, 98, whenever this was, uh, so he was in his late 70s, early 80s, something like that. They would wheel him out and he would have his grease pencil like he did in the 50s and he would mark up his weather map and with all the symbols that, you know, he had learned in college. Just like, this is what I think the storm is going to do. And George was making a path toward New Orleans that was like a straight line you could lay a ruler on. And everybody was going, everybody get, you know, category five hurricane coming, everybody's going to die. Yeah. And so we got out, a bunch of people got out. Nash was in, the, in his Channel 4 studio going, this storm is going to hit Biloxi, Mississippi. 
And he's doing this for like a day and a half. Storm's going, hey, New Orleans. And Nash is going, no, this storm is going to hit Biloxi. It's going to hit Biloxi, Mississippi. I know this is going to hit. And, and, and the storm makes landfall at the mouth of the Mississippi River, right? And Nash is still going, you know, I don't get what it is with this storm. This storm, this storm is supposed to hit Biloxi. And after the storm makes landfall in Venice, Louisiana, like with two hours before it's going to hit New Orleans, it's like the storm goes, oh, wait, Nash said I'm supposed to hit Biloxi. Makes a 90-degree turn. No fucking way. And hits Biloxi. <laughs> Roger, I need a history of Nash. We might have to delay the curators by a week. I need a, I need a history of Nash. I've never fucking heard of this guy. Oh, really? I've literally yeah, never heard of him. So now I'm just conjuring up this image of this this old guy in Nolens who's just like some... Some, you know, like those, what are those, uh, fuck, I gotta go in a minute. Put, put him into the Google. He, he pops right up. I mean. No, I'm going to say, I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. Who are the guys that like detect water with like the rods? Dowsers. I'm getting yeah. this image of just like this old South kind of weird, almost sort of like black magic voodoo guy. Who's just like, who's just like standing. Oh, he, was a, he was a ball headed white guy. That's exactly how I see him in my mind. Good. And I just, he's just this guy that like. I'm imagining like almost like a Warren Buffett type, like all the other investors are watching him. They're like, is he making the move? And he's standing there as the storm's coming and like he. Oh, very much. There, he's, there, there was in the, in the, in the eighties and nineties and before he retired in the odds, there was his stock in the, it's like, there are people who are like, fuck the national weather service. We want to know what Nash says. Dude, we that have, was- we have to do an episode on Nash. <laughs> I have. I'm not gonna look. I'm not gonna look up a goddamn thing about him. You're. And you're you said you're doing a movie this week. I don't know yet. Okay. Uh, we, Dad is looking up the schedule. We might. So have, we I'll, might have to do like a Saturday podcast or something because I need to know about Nash. I'm. I. I already do some research because it's been some years. Okay. You know, okay. I'm, well, if we have to kick it back a little bit, then that's fine. I want. Oh no! I'll, I'll I'll be ready next weekend. I just need now that I know that you want to do this. I just need to make sure I got all my eyes dotted and t's crossed. And I all that need stuff. a history of Nat. I am. I'm not gonna look up a goddamn thing about him because I don't want to ruin it. Like Breaking Bad or something. I'm saving this. I'm saving. I had actually been thinking for a few years of doing a fictional story that I would call Eye of the Storm, where I is the capital I is in myself. And it's it would be about a proto Nash Roberts who actually did have magical powers over the hurricane and starts fucking with them. And yeah, but it works both ways because when you are fucking with things that powerful, they fuck you back. It's like what Tim Dillon. It's like what Tim Dillon. Fuck, I gotta go in like sixty seconds. It's like what Tim Dillon said to Ray Comp. Ray Comp's just this this fat animal comedian who's just brilliant. He has like a speech impediment. And he weighs like five hundred pounds, but he's—I mean—I think he's legally like legally a genius. He's he's intelligent. And one <laughs> Ray's talking about how he went to this restaurant and they were serving like lamb brains or something. And he's like, he has a terrible lisp. And he's like, uh, he's like, I ate these lamb brains, and like I'm not a superstitious person, but like I felt evil after. And Tim, just what you said, Tim goes, Ray, you should be a superstitious person. You should be knowledgeable of of black magic and be wary of its forces. <laughs> that line always sticks with me. And be wary of its force. Well, I was thinking casino. I was thinking 
man, like I wonder if like Nash is in it with like Vegas or Biloxi, and it's like putting bets on the putting bets on landfall of hurricanes. Oh, the people did that. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Jesus Christ. Well, I I need a history of Nash. Okay, yeah, well, yeah, Nash is part of it, but it's more like the history of hurricanes. On sure, the sure, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. More, more so that, but I, you got to sprinkle in some Nash, because that's... Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, if you haven't heard... Yeah, that, but he, I mean, he, is, he, he was an institution here. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I don't even know how to... I mean, he's like... Like a, cron- his, like a Cronkite, almost? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was like the guy that you trusted. I mean, it's like... Uh, yeah, he was like Cronkite was on a national level, but but Nash was that for weather uh, on the Gulf Coast. It's like it's uh, like and, people that accurately predict presidencies, not left or right. They just like they always yeah. get it. Like the five thirty eight guy. Yeah, Nate Silver. Yeah, Nate Silver. Yeah. yeah. So you know, it's like every everyone takes him very seriously now. Yeah. Uh, that was sort of the way it was with Nash after Betsy and. He kept that record going, you know, it's like, and he was all school. He didn't change his methods. I, you know, they came up with all this newfangled shit and computer models and all. And he was just there with his grease pencil going, well, this is where the front's going to go. And this is going to make it I steer that way. I just imagine he's doing some like old French quarter voodoo. <laughs> I just imagine he's got like a woman with like beads and like, and like sticks. And it's like some old fucking black magic shit. And he just, he knows like the spirits are my mind sp- Fuck, I got to get on this. If I miss this call because I was talking about Nash. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Roger, I love you, buddy. Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect. Curators, part six today. We'll get to part seven. But before that, we're doing Nash. And, um, okay, we're doing Hurricanes. I'll, yes. I'll, I'll, send, I'll, right. I'll send you a text after this. We'll set it up. I got to make this call. All right, buddy. Okay. Take See care, you. buddy. Peace. Recording stopped. Oops, there we go.